Father in heaven, we pray that you will be with our brothers and sisters that are not with us today who are up at Camp Kalakwa enjoying this beautiful weather. Thank you for blessing them with this. And I pray that your spirit will be with them and they will be blessed as they are retreating and enjoying their time. But Lord, we're thankful for your spirit that is able to be there and be with us as well. And we pray that you will speak to us today, that our hearts will be stirred, that we will understand your calling on us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the year was 1992, and the Lord was working on my heart. Think about where you were in the year 1992. Some of you weren't even here. Some of you were. The year was 1992, and the Lord was working on my heart. Now, I've shared with you at different times that uh, I haven't always been a pastor. I'm not going to go over that whole story today, but I am going to reference it because 1992 is all the way back to before I was a pastor. In fact, that was the last full year that I was a chemical engineer. But in the year 1992, there was still work that the Lord needed to do in my heart. Now, that's not to say there isn't still today, but, but it was definitely obvious at that point. You see, if it wasn't for the fact that my wife, Alicia, had gotten so involved with the local church, the small local church near where we were living in Paducah, Kentucky, if it wasn't for the fact that she had gotten so involved there, so much so that she and, and another uh, young woman there at the church had together decided they were going to start an elementary school there. You see, as it happened sometimes, it turned out there were a lot of kids that happened to be around the church at that particular point. Now, a lot in one setting compared to another is kind of different. Here we call 300 a lot. There, 13 was a lot, but still, it's all context. So they had determined they wanted to restart the elementary school that had been going there for years, and, and they'd worked out how to do that, and they were going to start it, and she had gone away in the summer and taken some classes and was now back and getting ready to start the school. And I just got to say, she's been a good influence on my life. I thank the Lord for her. And in this particular case, I was starting to participate a little more in the life of church because it's a little awkward when your wife is teaching at the school and, and you don't go. <laughs> so I started attending a little more regularly, and they began to ask us to do different jobs in the church, and we were participating. I don't know that they vetted us as well as they should have. At least they didn't vet me as well as they should have. But nonetheless... An enabling church will give you opportunities for the Lord to bless and work, and that happened in my life. But it was in the fall of 1992, and the Lord was working on my heart. And if you've ever had the Spirit pestering you, you know that what this feels like, that, that He is making it so that the way things are just aren't comfortable anymore. 
And as he was working in my life, he put a hunger in my heart to read the Word, which, okay, I'd read the Bible before, even a lot of times. But there's a difference between reading the Bible and taking up the Scripture and allowing it to speak to your heart. You know what I'm talking about, right? And the Lord had been working on my heart in a way to where it was no longer enough to just read the Bible. He was speaking to me from His Word. And it was beginning to transform my life. And there was another thing I was doing at that time. I was reading a five-book series that we refer to as the Conflict of the Ages series by Ellen White. I was reading through those as well. And that's a really good series to read when the Bible is beginning to come alive to you because it, it basically follows the Bible story. And so the Lord was speaking to me through His Word and, and through the Conflict of the Ages series. And now I was at this particular time in the fall of 1992, I was reading in the book Great Controversy. Now, normally when you hear someone say they were reading in Great Controversy, you think, oh, well, they were, must have been reading that part at the end. Well, no, the truth is I was actually reading that part at the beginning that most people usually skip over because it's not exciting enough. But I was reading that first part of Great Controversy, which is about the history of the Christian church. And I was specifically in the section that was talking about Martin Luther and how the Lord was working in the life of Martin Luther, and how he came up to these barriers. And, and the way it came through to me was the Lord was basically saying to him, how far are you willing to go? What will you give? And you see in the story how Martin Luther, a most unlikely character in many ways. I mean, in fairness, just based on lifestyle, we'd probably have to throw him out of our church as well. But that's all right. It wouldn't be the first church that threw him out. Let's just think about that. But anyway, Martin Luther. And the Lord was leading him. And, and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's amazing what the Lord can do with someone who's fully committed. And boom, it hit me in that moment. What commitment does the Lord want from me? And what could I do if I were fully committed? Well, the Spirit pestered me with this question for days. And so finally, on one of those days, I finally said, and you know how you interact with the Lord when the Spirit's working on your heart. It's not like a, a classic conversation, but there is an interaction. And I, the, he finally brought me to the point where I said, okay, what do you want from me? Now, just a warning. Be careful when you ask the Lord questions. Sometimes he answers. And his answer was, what will you give? Now, you see, I didn't like that answer. The answer I was looking for was some sort of a list. Because here's the really cool thing about a list. You can keep your normal life and take the list on. 
And if you're real efficient, you can get everything checked off the list, and it hardly impacts your life at all. But he didn't give me that out. He said, what are you willing to give? So through the course of wrestling and thinking about that question, the Lord did a powerful work in my heart. And I finally realized that it really is about giving my whole life to his purpose, whatever that purpose might be. Now, at that point, I had no idea what that purpose might be. But just to give you the context on what the Lord did in my life in that span, this was fall of 1992. By June of 1993, less than a year later, I would be sitting in classes at Andrews University in the Adventist Theological Seminary studying to be a pastor. Now, let's just keep this between us and all the places in the world that we're streaming right now. <laughs> if they had done a little better background check, I'm not sure they'd have let me in on your, within that time span. I think their policies are a bit more rigorous now. I probably would have never gotten in. You see, I had it all worked out in my mind of what I could be and what I couldn't be, but the Lord said, how much are you willing to give? And when I did that, I found that the Lord's purpose for me was to end this period of time that I'd been an engineer and become a pastor, which I've been to this day. Now, that's not what God's calling is on everybody's life. So that's not to say that every one of you, when you finally hear God's call, he will ask you to be a pastor. So don't worry about that. But it is his call for some of us. He made that call in my life, and I had agreed to do whatever he asked me to do, and so no longer did it seem that hard, and it was amazing the doors that the Lord opened. It was nothing short of miraculous that got me there, and Alicia and I both found ourselves at the seminary studying for what would become God's ultimate purpose in our lives. So I tell you this story for the purpose of introducing the reality to you that, that God's call on our lives is not a checklist for us to add, but rather a call to discipleship that requires everything about us. What do you want from me, Lord? How much will you give? I want to go to Luke chapter 14 today, and I want to spend some time reflecting on Jesus' words here. We were in Luke chapter 14 not that long ago, the first part of the chapter in our last series, where there's a meal that takes place there that Jesus is at, and it's not a really comfortable one. But, but we're going to look at the end of that chapter today starting in verse 25. And we're going to read some words that might make you a little uncomfortable here, but the context here is to understand the calling in our life and what it means. So here we go. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said... Now, just pause right there real quick. Jesus is responding to crowds. 
Now, there's this thing called a crowd mentality. Maybe you've been a part of it. This desire to be a part of the next neat thing. And you just kind of come in and you join with the crowd and you walk along and it's really cool. And then you get bored with it and you wander off and you do something else. So what's happening right now is Jesus has become very popular because he's done a lot of really neat things. But it's time for Jesus to bring the people a reality check. And this is what he does. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, you've heard those words before, I'm sure. And they're kind of troubling words, aren't they? But let me tell you, Jesus is not here telling us that we're supposed to despise the family. What he's telling us is that when we have given ourselves totally over to him, he has to be in that place of absolute most importance in our lives. Even above these other critically important relationships that we have. And he's saying it in very bold language because he's trying to shake this crowd that's following him without truly being committed to his purpose. And every now and then it is essential that those of us who claim to follow Jesus challenge ourselves on these lines to say, am I really committed to Jesus beyond all these other relationships and attachments and, and dreams and hopes? Do I really believe that what he has for me is what I want most? He goes on, verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. So put that in the context of my own experience back in 1992. I had a life. I had things. I had elements in it. I was working as an engineer. I had the opportunities in that context. But I came to understand after I gave myself committed to the Lord's purpose that wherever it was he wanted me to go, I wanted that more than what I had. And so when that became obvious to me, it wasn't that hard to walk away from that and take on what the Lord was calling me to do. In fact, there was excitement in my heart to do it. And that's kind of an interesting concept, right? That, that we would work hard for something. I went to engineering school for five years. Though I would work hard for something, but then at the calling of the Lord be able to walk away from it. Now, it's not a, a unique experience. I guess that's what the disciples did, right? They worked hard to be fishermen, but at the calling of the Lord. Jesus goes on to give an example of what he's talking about here. You see, he doesn't want us to be surprised. We're going to make a commitment to faith, He's going to say, how much are you going to give? But he wants us to understand that the call is going to be all-consuming in our lives. Verse 28. 
Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, we are so thankful to the Lord for giving us in this community the absolute perfect visual aid to help us understand this text. So, Patty, there we go. Maybe you've seen that tower, right? Now, if you've been here longer than I am, you know the story better than I do, but all I know is for the last roughly six years, it's looked pretty much like that. And as a result, we end up ridiculing those who did it. Yeah, we've lived this text from the ridicule side anyway. But is that your faith? Is that your Christian experience? You got this lovely facade, and you look at it, and you think, wow, that could really be useful. But the closer you get, if someone gets closer to you, do they start to say, well, I don't think that thing's even done. Consider the cost. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It's not one of those laid-back passages, is it? Starts out by challenging us as to what we love most in life, whether it's God. Moves on to say, you make a start at faith, but you can't finish it. You're going to look foolish. And wraps up by saying, Lord, what do you want from me? How much are you willing to give? So have you given up everything to follow Jesus? You see, it's possible to still hang on to a lot of stuff. and look like a follower. Now, here's the deal. Giving up everything to follow Jesus doesn't look the same for everyone. For me, giving up everything to follow Jesus meant the end of being an engineer and the start of being a pastor. But what does it look like for you? Certainly for some people, giving up everything means going from uh, great prosperity, potentially even to limited prosperity. But for some others, it might go the other way. You see, the Lord has a unique purpose for each of us. 
But when the Lord does prosper us greatly, it isn't just for the purpose of making our lives comfortable. It's also for the purpose that by our generosity we might prosper others as well. Whatever the nature of our prosperity, this is what it means to give ourselves up completely. Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then comes that line. We've heard that before, haven't we? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So here's what I want you to understand today from the Scripture. Just like in the candle series, there was a message to the churches, and at the end of that message, the Spirit said, whoever has ears to hear, hear. Well, in the same way, Jesus has a message to the church today, and he's saying, whoever has ears, hear this. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That's the standard of discipleship. Now, the Lord has made you steward of all that you have. And as steward of all that he's given you, you are responsible to make good decisions with your talents, with your time, with your treasure, with the body he's given you. You are steward. But the call to the disciple is to turn it all over to his purpose as he directs. That's a pretty tough call, isn't it? I've had an interesting week. In some ways, a very painful week. One of my uh, colleagues actually with us here today, Gennady is here today. Good to see you, brother. I've been in my Doctor of Ministry cohort this week. We get together once a year and, and take classes, and we were from 8 in the morning till 5 in the evening, gaining so much wisdom, it's just overwhelming. We met for the first day on Sunday evening. And we gathered, I guess, I guess it was actually afternoon, wasn't it? One o'clock in the afternoon, we met, and we met on into the evening. There were 14 of us that met on Sunday. And at the end of the day, one of our, uh, as, as we were near the end, uh, our, the leader of the course asked one of us to pray, and that individual said a prayer for us, a prayer of blessing for us. And we went out for the day. And came back the next morning and kind of dribbled in. We weren't all there exactly at 8 o'clock, so, you know, it's not a big surprise that a few were late. It's one of those things. If you live in town, you're always late. Have you ever learned that rule? If you travel there from out of town, you can make the meeting on time, but if you live there, I was late. 
So I came in late, and we were just finishing up our worship time. There were 13 of us there. One was missing. When one of our people in our cohort stepped out for a second and then came running back in and said, Michael has collapsed in the parking lot. Michael Reed was part of our cohort. He was in town. He was the one that had prayed for us the night before, the pastor here in the Florida Conference in the Fort Lauderdale area, I believe. Michael had come that morning to be a part of our cohort, and something had happened. I don't know what, but he had collapsed in the parking lot. And one of the people from the office staff was out giving him CPR, and the paramedics arrived and took over the process, and they transported him to Altamont Springs Hospital, Florida Hospital. But Michael didn't make it. And that really changed the whole experience this week. In one way, we're incredibly blessed because we are the last group on earth that Michael prayed for and blessed. Discipleship, what does it mean to give your life? You see, it's all been coming very starkly real to me here all of a sudden was a few weeks ago when we lost our brother Rob Fulbright. And, and as I mentioned to you last Sabbath, the good friend of mine that died a week ago Friday, this afternoon I'm headed to the airport to fly up there to be at his funeral in Michigan tomorrow. And then in the midst of last week, I heard the news that someone else around my age who was a part of our church in Yakima, Washington, had passed away. And then Michael, a little bit older than me, but not much. You see, why wouldn't we give it all to Jesus? We can't keep it. We can't keep it. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? See, here's the thing. Michael finished his tower. He worked faithfully. He gave his life to the calling of God and work faithfully, and by God's grace, his tower was completed. But we're still working on ours. How's your tower coming along? There's two things I want to say to you today, and this is the most important point. This passage is telling us that to truly be disciples of Jesus, we've got to commit all of ourselves. And he will work through our lives to accomplish his purpose in the world. 
That is what this passage is telling us. And that is the challenge I'm giving all of us today. How's your tower? Is it coming along really well? Or has it been about 15 years since anybody saw any difference? We don't want to be pretenders following Jesus. We want to be disciples following Jesus. And to be disciples, that means to commit all that we are to his purpose and allow him to direct us to act day by day to see that his will is done. So to that point, I say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I don't know what God is calling you to be. I don't know what God is calling you to do on an individual level. But I want to urge you today, in light of the fragileness of our lives and the limited time we have to accomplish what he's given us to do, don't put it off. Commit yourself 100% to God's purpose in your life. Follow where he leads. Don't worry, most of you won't have to quit what you're doing and be pastors. It's only some of us that have to do that. But he may call you to something different. So that's the most important point. But there's another point I want to make as well. God has given us an opportunity as a people together in this place at this time to accomplish a work that will bless us in our time and bless the generations to come. Now, I don't know if you got the chance to hear the sermons from the past two Sabbaths. If you missed either of the last two weeks, I want to encourage you to go back, go to our church website, and listen to those messages because we are building up to a very special Sabbath next Sabbath, May 13. If you haven't gotten to hear those messages, please do so. But what I want to say to you today in the context of of what we just read here today is that at different times God calls his people to do different things and different kinds of concerted actions. Fifty years ago, God called the people of this congregation who came before us to construct this place in which we come every Sabbath to worship together, to grow in our faith, to hear from the Lord, to be inspired, to be blessed. And because of their commitment, because of their willingness to give their all to God's purpose in their day. And remember, it's different at different times. But 50 years ago, they were under the conviction that the Lord was saying, build me a house in which my people can learn and grow and prosper. And you know what? They probably took on a bigger project than they should have. 
based on the means they had access to in their day. But because of their faithfulness in their day, here we are, all those years later, in this place where the Lord inspires our hearts. Well, we have a tower to build in our day as well. You see, it all goes back to what you saw in that video and the fact that between 300 and 500 children come through our doors every Sabbath where we are given the opportunity as a church community to partner with the parents of those children to see to it that they are raised with a knowledge that God is real, that Jesus loves them, and that by faith they've been saved as a part of his kingdom. We have the opportunity to see those truths hardwired into young people's minds. This was God's purpose. We talked about this last Sabbath at length, but God said to them, these are the things I have commanded you. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them every chance you get. Spare nothing to be certain the children learn these truths. Why is that? Well, it's because, yes, we hope the Lord comes in our day. But if he does not, and we alone are the believers and have never passed our faith to the next generation, what happens to the faith when our towers are complete and we're done? If we've not faithfully passed it on, the faith dies with us. And remember, God's purposes are eternal, but our lives are three score and ten, maybe four, maybe five. And therefore, for God's eternal purpose to be accomplished, which we don't know exactly when it is, it falls to us in each generation to discern the Lord's purpose and act according to his call on us. The text says, consider the cost of building a tower. We have spent the last two years as a church community considering the Lord's calling to understand how we can best achieve our purpose. And the net result of that, two years of labor, faithful labor by many in this place, including Brother Van Camp, who's with us right now for a little longer before they relocate to Walla Walla, but he has helped us come to this conclusion that God is calling us to build a new place where we can help our children learn about Jesus. It, it looks like this. And it's going to be a really neat thing. And it's going to open up other opportunities for ministry to adults as well because we'll have other spaces where the adult classes, which are also thriving, can expand and grow. You see, 50 years ago, the vision of what was going to take place here was not even half of what has become reality. 
and the number of people that are coming in this place and the number of children that are here each Sabbath far exceeds probably their wildest dreams. But for us to be faithful in our time, we need to take this step. Now we've considered the cost. And it is a challenge. This is a project along with the expansion we'll be doing in our lobby space, which will enable a gathering place after the services and upgrades to our other facilities. This is a challenge because the project is going to cost us $8.5 million to accomplish. But I want to suggest to you that compared to the resources the Lord has given us as a people, it is a challenge we can meet. Now, there's two steps to this reality. The first step is we need to raise a sum of around $2.5 million that enables us to secure the financing for the rest of the project. So the two-step process is we need one-time gifts, and one-time gifts come from the abundance that the Lord has blessed us with. We need one-time gifts to get us to that initial uh, two and a half million point, and then we need monthly commitments. Now those come out of the Lord's continuous provision. We give our one-time gifts out of the abundance that we have, and we give our continuing gifts out of the Lord's continuous provision. There are some in this community who have a lot of resources that they're avail available to them because of blessing in the past, and they're able to make a significant one-time gift. But some of them are retired, and they don't have as much continuing. Others in this community may not have amassed that, that large one-time capacity, but the Lord is blessing abundantly on a regular basis. So you can see from this that one group will carry one side and another group will carry the other, but we will all be involved together in this process. The Lord's call is that we give our all to accomplish His purpose in our time. This is discipleship. Next Sabbath will be a special Sabbath where we will make our pledges to cover the continuing expenses of the project. And our goal for those pledges is that we will have at least 50000 a month pledged for this project. I think we're going to do way better than that. But the dollar is not the most important point. The most important point next Sabbath is that we all participate. As the Lord has enabled us, we do this together that everyone gets involved. Now, next Sabbath, it's going to be neat. There's going to be a lot of neat things, and one of the things you're going to see, you're going to be able to go to the website, which we have here, www.buildingboldlyforjesus. Sorry, Patty, didn't warn you we were going there. There it is. Buildingboldlyforjesus.org. You're going to be able to, where you're sitting right now, go to that website and literally make your pledge live right there and set it up, and it will go forward from there. So I want you to be praying this week about this, 
and about what the Lord is putting on your heart. But the second part of this is we have envelopes in the pews in front of you that are different from our usual tithe envelope. You can take one of those, take a look at it. That's for the one-time gifts. We can do this. We've considered the cost, and yes, it's a challenge, but we can do this. The Lord has given us more than enough resources in this place to build this tower. So I want to make this appeal to you as well. As the Lord works on your heart, look at what He has given you command over. The resource that He has given you to steward. And go to Him in prayer. And say, Lord, what would you have us do that we could be a part of this work in this time? It's about being faithful to the Lord's call in our time. I believe we'll be faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the most important thing is that we would give our all to you and that we would be your disciples in every way. But on top of that, Lord, we believe you have led us to this project. And we would see it done for your glory and for the training of the children and for the building up of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen.